Thank you. Morning, everyone. It's just so great to be together. And uh, thank you so much for joining us in the fast. Uh, it was just an outstanding time together. Uh, on the last night, we had around 350 people jammed in this tent. And it was just so great for all the congregations to be together. And I keep on hearing stories, great and small, all significant, of what the Lord has done. And so all the congregations are bookending the fast with two Sundays preaching through the book of Joshua before we jump back into the book of Luke. And uh, the fast theme was be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And today I am going to continue on that theme um, in Joshua chapter 4. And so if you'll go there, won't you? And we're just going to dig into how memory and remembering has the power to give us courage. Repeated commands came from the Lord to the people as they came out of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. The repeated commandments were be strong and courageous. And we're asking, well, well, if that's a command, how do we do that if we're not hardwired with genetic bravery? There, there, there are some that, that are just naturally brave, naturally strong, but for the rest of us, what does it mean to be strong and courageous if we feel weak and fearful? And we find in, in the book of Joshua that, that courage can be learned. Courage is not just something that you naturally have. And even if you do naturally have it, courage can drain away very easily. And so the scripture gives us tools and promises and ways to keep in strength and courage when we feel weak and fearful. And we find that, 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 that courage is contagious. It's actually by being with a community of courage that courage becomes contagious, just like fear can cause courage to drain away in a community. I think I probably learned courage mostly from my father. And I don't think I was born courageous. I still have moments of fear when courage drains away. But what was so powerful for me growing up with my father is that my father, if you meet him, is, is not like a locker room alpha male jock. If you meet him, he's a quiet man. He's kind of, he's not sporty, kind of a geeky mechanical engineer. The first thing you see of him is not courage, but I actually learned from him growing up that he drew courage from God. I remember as a 14-year-old, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, come, we're going to Kwandengezi. Can you say that with me? Kwandengezi. Kwandengezi was a large slum in South Africa that my father was working into. And he was working with churches there, especially with a church led by a friend called Emmanuel Butelezi. And there was a gangster called Mr. X who was terror terrorizing the churches in Kwandengezi. And around this time, he would drive around with his armed thugs and take their tithes and offerings. And so in a very poor place, all of these pastors were just living in great weakness and great fear. And one day my dad just says, come with me, Alan. He goes in his little beat up Nissan, picks up Emmanuel Butelezi. He says, we're going to confront Mr. X. 
My father never had any weapons. Still to this day, he doesn't have weapons other than kind of a stick under his bed. And we went weaponless to confront Mr. X. And I just remember, I can still picture it now, driving down this old rocky steep road down where Mr. X and his henchmen were. And Emmanuel Butelezi was literally wailing, Peter, you can't go, we're gonna get killed. And I'm just going, what the heck am I doing here? And my dad just says, no, Emmanuel, we're gonna confront him. He is robbing from God's people. He drives, parks the beat up Nissan at the bottom and just rolls down the window, shouts, Mr. X, Mr. X, come outside. And I'm just going, what on earth? No one comes out eventually one of his armed henchmen come out with some sort of AK-47 or whatever, says, Mr. X is not here. And my dad just says, well, you tell Mr. X that if he doesn't stop stealing from God's people, God is gonna kill him. Rolls up the window, turns, and drives away. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, that is courage. And a month later, Mr. X was killed in a gunfight. And God set the churches free from his oppression, amazing. That was like a altar of remembrance for me, of going, actually, the Lord is for his people. The Lord is against the enemies of his people. The Lord requires courageous people to confront the enemies of his people, amen? And in Joshua 4, it's about 24 verses, we, we find that the Lord is strongly for his people and he's gonna bring them into the land, but first they need to cross the Jordan River, which is in flood. And he does it miraculously, and then he calls them to set up an altar of remembrance of stones. And we're gonna read that. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man of each tribe. And Joshua said, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. The ark was like a big chest coffinish thing that had the, the, the stone tablets with, the commands of the Lord, and it represented the presence of God. So the priests were to carry this ark. And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Can you say that with me? A memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes and the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. And for the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste 
you and I would too. The waters stood up in a pile north of the people. Think of this perfect curling tube. It's amazing, a surfer's dream. But no one was dreaming about surfing right there. They were just dreaming about getting across. They passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, passed over armed before the people of Israel. As Moses had told them, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. Imagine being a priest in that day. 40,000 people passed, but you can't. You, you must stay. And then eventually, Joshua says, okay, you can come out. And the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground. And when they did, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Amazing picture, isn't it? Extraordinary miracle. People came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? It's repeated a second time. Verse six, what do these stones mean to you? Now, what do these stones mean? In other words, they're saying, we don't just want these stones to mean something to you. We want these stones to mean something to us too. What do they mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is the word of the Lord, amen? amen. What an extraordinary miracle. The priests carrying the ark were to walk into this Jordan River in flood, overflowing its banks, and as they did, the waters piled up in a heap and stayed there until 40,000 people passed through. It was probably more, but those were the armed tribes. All the 12 tribes, probably hundreds of thousands of people. And can you imagine the relief on the other side? Thank goodness we got across. But actually the Lord had commanded Joshua, no, that's not enough. You go back in one man from each tribe. Imagine being that guy. It's like, you've just got a cross. Thank you, Jesus. Well, not Jesus. Thank you, Lord. They wouldn't have known Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. No, no, no. You go back. You go back and get a stone. It would have been a big stone, but not so big that you couldn't carry it. Each man carried the stone. So I've got this pile of 12 stones, certainly bigger than these puppies, but actually not much bigger. And build this memorial as a sign of God's faithfulness. What do these stones mean, was the repeated question. What do these stones mean? I'm gonna talk about what it is to remember the faithfulness of God and return 
to building altars of remembrance for the sake of worship, for the sake of humility, and for the sake of the future. What do these stones mean? I've been thinking about what those stones must have looked like. Well, firstly, they weren't that big. They were small enough for someone to carry, probably two or three times the size of this, unless, I don't know, you're Matt or JD and you can carry a huge boulder, but likely it was like probably, probably kind of four times the size of this. And they built an altar at Gilgal, and, and Gilgal literally means a circle of stones. And so they built it in this sort of, I don't think it was a pile, I think it was in some sort of circle. And then they returned to it. It says in Joshua 5, they returned to it. That's where at Gilgal, they were circumcised. And God said, I will roll away the reproach of Egypt. No longer slaves, I will make you into a people. Not defined by your past, but defined by me and the future I have for you. And then they returned again and had the first Passover in Canaan there, where they ate from actually produce that had grown from the ground. They kept on returning to this altar of remembrance. And I've been thinking about these stones and going, number one, it wasn't very grand, like these river rocks. And as Matt said, river rocks that had been weathered by the water. I think one of the reasons why we don't tell people of the faithfulness of God is, number one, we don't think our testimony is grand enough. But these rocks show us that they weren't very grand. This altar was not like a grand cathedral. It was a little circle of 12 rocks. But it was a powerful sign. The significance was not in its architecture. The significance in, was in what it pointed to, the grandness of God. And they remembered the grandness of God. And then as well, they were weathered. They weren't these perfect squares. One of the reasons why we don't tell of the faithfulness of God is that we feel weathered. We feel like we've been beaten, like life has like flowed over us and we've got a couple of grooves and chips and cracks and we're like, our life is not a perfect square brick. But actually God said, that'll do. Don't take a perfect brick. Take it from the middle of the river. This humble, weathered altar of remembrance. What do these signs mean? It means that all of us have a story to tell. And some of you say, yeah, yeah, you know, man, I don't know, I, I wasn't like a gangster saved from a life of drugs and crime. Do I have a story to tell? We all have a story to tell that points to the grandness and the goodness of God. What do these stones mean? They firstly mean that God and his hand is mighty to save. That's what verse 24 says, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty to save and so that you might revere him or fear the Lord. The first reason for remembering is reverence. Remembrance leads to reverence. What's interesting is that they were to tell their children two moments of miracle. The first was the parting of the Red Sea. Whose hand catalyzed the parting of the Red Sea. Whose hand? Moses. So we know it was ultimately the hand of the Lord, but remember, God said, stretch out your hand with your staff and touch the water, and then it happened. Notice that in Joshua 4, Joshua is doing none of that. It's the priest's feet. 
It's the 12 tribesmen gathering. Joshua is inactive besides saying, hey, do this. And it's almost as though God says, look, this time, my people, you were codependent on Moses, the man of God. You thought he was the only one through whom God could do mighty things. But this time I'm gonna show, it's not the hand of Moses, it's not the hand of Joshua, it's the hand of God that was mighty to save. So actually, Joshua's hands were not involved at all. And what we see actually, is in the book of Joshua, there's a multiplication of the priesthood of all believers where it's the priests carrying the presence of God, not one anointed man, but the priests carrying the presence of God that causes God's hand to part the seas. See, when we remember what God has done, it's not the hand of Moses. It's not the hand of Joshua. It's not our hand. It's not saying, well, you know, you know I worked really hard. I'm here you know, in this place because I worked really hard and I was really good. It's actually remembering that it's the hand of God that saved us. Tim Keller, when talking about remembrance, says, you know, we as a people are so forgetful. God is faithful, but we are so forgetful. And when we forget to remember, he says, it's like cosmic plagiarism. How many of you have ever been tempted to plagiarize someone else's work? Come on, go ahead. How many have? Right? Plagiarism is a double sin. One is that you lie and say it was your work. Two is that you take credit for someone else's work. And Keller says that when we forget to remember God in reverence, we sin twice. Firstly, we lie and say, this blessing in my life, it's me. And then actually when people come and say, wow, you're so blessed, we take the credit. But actually when we build an altar of remembrance and say, it wasn't me. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who reach the end of themselves. And I was at the end of myself, but God's hand was mighty to save. It's a double blessing because firstly, we are honest about who gets the credit. Secondly, we give glory to God. And remembrance actually drives us down in humility and upwards in praise. And that's why it's such a blessing. Now, God has given his church, those that believe in Jesus. And you know, the name Joshua is Yeshua, God saves. The name Jesus is the New Testament version of Joshua, God saves, Yeshua. And for those of us who believe in the true and better Joshua, Jesus, we have been given an altar of remembrance every time we gather that is there to build our reverence, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Communion, when we grab that little cup with the chewy little wafer, we don't have a very sort of a high church in the sense that we're in a big cathedral and there's incense and a whole lot of liturgy, although liturgy is great. But actually, beloved, we should come with gratitude and reverence. 1 Corinthians 11 says, this is a meal that we partake in. It is the body and blood of Christ Jesus. You partake in it. And actually, we are to partake in a worthy manner or in a reverent manner Firstly, examining ourselves and saying, is there any unconfessed sin? And secondly, that we wreck, don't worry about that, I'll get it. If you recognize that alarm, you get it. 
It's someone parked in the wheelchair parking. I'm going to carry on. And then you consider the body. You consider the body. And you go, is there any unconfessed sin that I have? Some bitterness? (laughs) Wow. I'm starting to feel some bitterness towards that car right now. Anyway. But actually... Communion is a reverent meal where we consider our own hearts, we confess our sin, and then we consider the body, thank you. We consider the body and we say, let me forgive, let me repent. It's actually God's way to keep the body in reverence. What do these stones mean? Secondly, they mean that God saves his people not just from sin and slavery, it means he saves them into an inheritance. Remember, the Red Sea was a, was a, sa- a salvation from something. Where they were to take a Passover lamb, slaughter it, take the blood, wipe it on the doorposts, and take shelter under the blood. And that speaks of our salvation where we say, actually, we in our sin were under the judgment of God, but when we shelter under Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, we shelter under him, The wrath of God is turned aside. We are saved from judgment. We are saved from slavery to Egypt. And that didn't take much from the Israelites. But actually, Jordan spoke of not being saved from, but saved into. Beloved, it's something that the church, I believe, in these dark days has forgotten. We're aware that, oh, we've been saved from sin and saved from slavery, saved from judgment, saved from separation from God but we've lost confidence that God actually has an inheritance for his people. But what we see here is that as the people passed over, they were armed for war. And it says in verse 13, they passed over in haste with Jericho before them. A man called Dudley Daniel years ago said this, and hear it out. What we are saved out of is not as important as what we are saved into. Thank the Lord that we were saved out of separation from God, but we were saved into intimacy with God. Thank the Lord that we were saved out of slavery to sin, but thank the Lord we were saved into freedom. We were saved out of rebellion against God, but now we've been saved into good works that He's prepared in advance for us to walk in. And there's been such a draining of confidence from the church that we are saved into. There remains for the people of God an inheritance here on earth. And I know it's been a tough, tough last year or so where we start to go, all right, I'm just holding on for heaven, man. I'm holding on for heaven. And then all these end time theories come come through. It's like, it must be the end times. It must be the end times. We're just waiting for Jesus to pluck us away. And Canaan is heaven. I want to say, ultimately, Canaan is heaven. But there remains for the people of God life, not just after death, but before death. Do you believe that? Joshua is all about that. Where God says, I've saved you into something, and it's going to require courage. And therefore, building stones of remembrance is not just about reverence and humility. It's about courage where we actually look backwards at the faithfulness of God and therefore are propelled with courage into the future, saying, if God was faithful to us there, He will be faithful to us now. Of course they're giants in the land. But God says there remains for the people of God life, 
before death. Spurgeon says about this, he says, it's time we took possession of that godly heritage the Lord has made our own. For in Christ Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance and have the guarantee of it in our possession by the Spirit of Jesus. We've lingered long enough in the wilderness. Think about it. These people pass through in haste. They build an altar of remembrance and Jericho lies before them. And God is gonna call them to do something very foolish at Jericho. Don't take weapons. I mean, we passed with weapons. Why can't we use these weapons? No, don't take weapons. Just circle around Jericho silently. Six days silently. Foolish. The people of God were courageous enough to obey foolishly because they looked back at the Jordan River, which was in view and said, look at that foolishness and how God showed his faithfulness. Come on, it was so foolish that the priests put their foot in the water, it parts and then sends us back in, keeps it parted. Oh, the foolishness of God proved the faithfulness of God there. So we're doing Jericho, baby, we're doing it. And then on the seventh day, really? We're gonna just raise up our voices and shout? And it's gonna come, come crumbling down? No, 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 that seems foolish. But foolishness there revealed the faithfulness of God. We'll do it again. Beloved, when we remember the faithfulness of God, even in our foolishness, even in our small little shaky obedience, we are propelled forward to keep foolishly obeying. I read a book this week you know, some books you just can't put down. About one in every 10 book I read, I cannot put down. And it was called As Many as the Stars in the Sky by a man called Robert Glover. It just so happens that Robert Glover's son, Josh Glover, is in our church. He gave me the book. And the story is very quickly, this British man who was a social worker on a little island of Guernsey He's in a church, he's just faithfully doing his work. A man comes through the church called David Devonish and prophesies over him, he says, I see an Abraham call on you, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. And Robert Glover is kind of a skeptical guy, he's like, look, I've got a lot of kids, I've got six kids, but I don't know how this, but God begins to put a burden on him for the orphans in China, this is 30 years ago. And at that time, China had a one child policy and so people wanted a son who could take care of them in their old age. And so if they had a daughter or someone who was not physically strong, they would just reject them and they'd go to an orphanage. And they had just hundreds of millions of orphans. And God began to put a burden on him that these orphans would actually be adopted into Chinese families. And he just began to faithfully obey. And God began to faithfully bless. And 30 years later, a million Chinese orphans have been adopted into families. You know, God is so kind. After the 8.30, a young lady comes up to me. She says, I'm Danielle. I'm a mom in this church. I was one of those orphans. She says, I was in an orphanage because I was a girl and I was adopted by a family and I met Christ and now I'm a mom. Isn't that amazing? Do not ever think that foolish obedience will come to naught. Foolish obedience seemingly actually unlocks the faithfulness of God. Allow remembrance to propel you courageously 
into foolish obedience. And I'm not talking about heaven on earth. I mean, heaven is heaven. Earth, in some ways, will always be broken. There will always be pain. There will always be isolation. There will always always be measures of darkness until Christ returns. But what I'm talking about is a people that believe that the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the brokenness of earth, bringing salvation where there's sin, bringing freedom where there is addiction, bringing family where there is isolation. God wants to do that in our day as we foolishly obey. What do these stones mean? They mean that a common story builds community. Verse one to two, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from the people, one from each tribe, and the people passed over in haste. I want us to see, beloved, that God had all the nation pass and then took one stone representing each tribe, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Asher, the tribe of whoever. I always forget names when I preach. But he was saying, actually, these tribes will have a common story and that will glue them together and keep them as one people. And very often the tribes started to war between them. There were some in Joshua, these Transjordan tribes that said, no, we have an inheritance somewhere else. And Joshua said, won't you fight with us until we have a national inheritance, then go. And there was a man called Caleb who wanted to go to the hill country, but he said, I'm actually gonna fight as one nation before I take my tribe's inheritance. And we see on into the New Testament that Jesus did a similar thing. He took 12 men that represented the 12 tribes, these diverse men, and he actually piled them together like a a pile of weird-shaped stones, and he said, I will build my church out of these wonky living stones. There's something about a common story that gives us unity. Think about Jesus' disciples, Simon the Zealot, and Matthew the tax collector. Honestly, in our day, that would have been honestly like one guy that believed in QAnon and the other guy that was part of BLM. And Jesus said, you'll do. I'll build you together. And you say, how can that be? What is impossible with man is possible with God. There's an amazing thing about having a common history that glues us together in our diversity. And actually what happens then is we start to leave our extreme silliness and we come back to the common holy ground of Christ, his word, his kingdom, his cross, his resurrection, his return. That's our common story. And we can have our different preferences and our different theories, but actually what is really convicting and glues us together is not that stuff, it's this stuff. I think having led here for 13 years of how we've built altars of remembrance over the years and they've given us unity. I think of the generation that came across in 2009 into Brea. How many of you are still here from that day? Thank you. Can we give it up for them? I mean, number were at the 10.30. Some have moved on. Others have planted churches. 
But there was a sense in which we came over and it was like the Jordan was in full flood. How are we gonna do this? We piled up with debt. We've lost a bunch of people. We've moved county. What's God gonna do? And God began to build a testimony. He began to part the water. And I remember a few years later, God gave us an idea to do a Jubilee campaign and actually graciously we were, got rid of all our debt, all our debt. We had an 800,000 lawyer's debt from a lawsuit that we had to defend. 800,000 debt, gone. And in all our diversity, God gave us a common story that glued us together. You know, I've thought about the, the class of 2020 and the class of 2021, how last year was such a year of resilience and we're just out there in the heat and the cold trying to hold down our easy ups and it was a year of resilience, just hanging in there. And it was crazy and many moved on and some joined and it was a year of division and it was confusing and then there was the masks and I mean still there's some stuff but now God has started to build. And I believe we've, we've moved from resilience now to defiance and, and to breakthrough and there's a sense of revival building and I'm just saying thank you for staying long enough to build an altar of remembrance. I think too often in the church, the moment we hit the Jordan River in full flood, we just go somewhere else. I just want a nice, nice stream. But actually when you stay around for long enough, you get a testimony and you build an altar of remembrance and God glues you together. Thank you for staying together and trusting that the Lord would be faithful to his people. You know, the last day of the fast, God came through for our family in a way that causes, has caused us to build an altar of remembrance. Just amazing, God is so kind. Something happened on the, in terms of the church. On the Wednesday, Joel and Greg Larkin and others have been wrestling with the government that promised us a grant in terms of COVID and they turned us down twice. On the Wednesday of the fast, we got that money more than we'd asked for, it came through. Isn't that amazing as a church? That money is pretty much spoken for in terms of what we're giving to Santa Ana and giving, so we're not living large, but actually we needed that money and it came through. And then as a family, we've been wrestling with a 2016 tax bill that the IRS owes us. It's amazing when the IRS wants money from you, they want it now. But when they owe you money, 2016 for heaven's sake, on the Wednesday of the fast, it came through. Isn't it amazing? So amazing. And so I'm just thinking, I'm on a roll now. I mean, we've had two things come through. So my son Asher has been wrestling for 10 months over, I won't mention the brand name of the car, but over a, an engine overhaul that went very wrong. And we have been fighting with the Better Business Bureau and AAA, and it's been a nightmare. So I just go, I'm on a roll, God's favor is here. I phone up the car guy, I say, please can we conclude this? My son needs to drive back to Texas. And suddenly there was a change. And by Thursday we'd settled it, and by yesterday we got the car back, after 10 months. I said to Asher, Asher, get on Amazon right now. Get one of those key ring tags, and you write right now, print it out, Matthew 17, 19, this, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. I know Jesus was talking about demons, but sometimes through prayer and fasting, <laughs> seriously, sometimes through prayer and fasting, these stubborn logistical obstacles, God just says, I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna move that thing. And so, and so he's done it. We've just built an altar of remembrance. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness. 
Thank you for your kindness you've shown us. If you want unity in your family, in your marriage, in your life group, build altars of remembrance. There's no story too small. The little, funny little weather-beaten rocks. No story too small, insignificant. Just give glory to God because it'll encourage people moving forward to trust in God, amen? What do these stones mean? Well, finally, they mean that God is dead serious on the baton or the flame, the torch of faith being passed down from generation to generation. He's dead serious about it. Twice in Joshua 4, he says, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? And secondly, what do these stones mean? In other words, to us, you tell them that God by his mighty hand parted not just the Red Sea, he didn't just save out of, but part of the Jordan Sea he parted into. Tell them that they might fear the Lord for ever. I know you were listening. Forever. You know, I've been thinking about what it is for eyewitnesses to remember what God has done. When we remember what God has done and build a memorial, what does it do for us, eyewitnesses? It causes us to worship God it causes us to not forget and take the credit for ourselves. But what does it do for people that weren't there? In other words, these children that would be born afterwards who weren't there, when they ask, what does it mean, or otherwise they weren't conscious, that is not remembrance for them, it's testimony. And test, remembrance goes backwards in thanksgiving, but remembrance actually goes forward in testimony. And it causes them not to be grateful but to realize that there's a possibility of God breaking through. And they go, oh, if God did that for them then, God can do just even better things for us. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than I can think or imagine. And I just want, as we land, to, to think about what it is for the generations to speak of the faithfulness of God to one another. Too often there's a disconnect between generation and God is saying, no, I want younger people to have their spiritual curiosity peaked as you tell stories so that they ask you, what does that mean? And God's saying, and then I want them to run with the torch of faith and gain their own testimony so they can pass from generation to generation to generation. Remembrance is not nostalgia, beloved. It's not people who've seen revival or seen the power of God just say, oh, kids, I'm so sorry for you. We were in the glory days. It was awesome. It's never gonna happen again. Sorry for you. That stinks. That's nostalgia. Remembrance that turns into testimony saying, God will not do it in the same way, but he will do it. Why is there a disconnect between older generation and younger generation? I just wanna suggest two things and then we'll land. Firstly, what happens is very often younger people, when they start to go, what do these stones mean? Instead of going to their spiritual parents, they go to their spiritual peers. Their curiosity goes to their spiritual peers. What do these stones mean? And their spiritual peers who are also still trying to discover what the stones mean, they start to deconstruct the pile. 
And they say, you know what these stones mean? It means that Jesus is kind and he's good, but like, let's take away the stones that talk about judgment and hell and the need for repentance and the cross. I mean, the cross is so gruesome. God seems so, coo- so cruel. Let's just talk about God who's kind. And when you go to your peers with what do these stones need, you deconstruct the gospel. And I think as I've talked to young people and talked to my kids very often, when I try and tell the stories, they kind of say, but, but dad, you don't understand. You don't understand our life. And on the one hand, I say, you're jolly right I don't understand. I don't have a TikTok channel. They won't allow me to. I don't understand it. And I tell lame dad jokes and my life is different. But what I do understand, I understand temptation. And I understand what it is to be overwhelmed by anxiety and fear. And I understand what it is to be plagued by sin and the relief of repentance and the nearness of God's presence. And actually I understand what matters. And that's what Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, wants to be real to you might not understand your identity issues and your peer pressure and your TikTok channel, but I understand what matters. And I wanna ask you humbly, young people, don't just go to your peers and say, what does it mean? Go to those that have been walking with the faithfulness of God for long and say, tell me why following Jesus is worth it. Tell me why resisting the devil and putting to death my flesh is worth it. Tell me why in the storm of temptation that Jesus ultimately will only satisfy and he has a good future for me. Tell me, tell me what these stones mean. And you will find yourself strengthened for the journey. I wanna speak to the older people, anyone over 30. Our problem is not deconstruction. Our problem is addition. What do these stones mean? The reason why young people will not listen to you is that you say, well, yeah, yeah, these stones mean that God is faithful and Jesus is good and you should turn from your sins and trust, from his, trust in him. But also, let's add some things. Let's add my preferred political party. Following Jesus means you must vote for my political party. And people just say, really? Where's that in the Bible? Oh, and also, Following Jesus means you must buy into my strange end time conspiracy theory and we add stones. You realize why people don't wanna listen to older people? Because we keep on adding stones that aren't in the Bible. And then also my, my moral code, so like don't go have a tattoo please. I watch my, my parents, my kids' grandparents, my kids come and show, show them the tattoos. Do you like my tattoo, Granny? Do you like my tattoo, Granny? And you just see them, oh, what do I say? Because they hate the tattoos. <laughs> but you know what? I love my mom and dad because they bite their tongue. And they say, you know what? That's not a stone we need to add to the pile because there's more important stones to add to the pile and they bite their tongue about their tattoos so that they can tell about the gospel and the faithfulness of God, and my kids will listen. I wanna ask you, if you're older, stop adding to the pile so that you can tell of the gospel and the faithfulness of God. You might have preferences, that's fine, but don't force those preferences on the younger generation because it will actually cause the flame to drop, and they'll have to go to their peers and say, what do these stones mean? I'm so grateful, so grateful for a multi-generational family of faith. 
I had to oversee the closure of a church two weeks ago in Costa Mesa that was going strong before COVID, now closed. I was, a, I was an elder in that church for four years. Tragic. I looked around. I was like, what is missing? Because actually, this is a healthy church. This is a good church. I looked around. They were all the same age. No one over the age of 30. They had no one to ask. What do these stones mean? They had no one to remind themselves. God will get you through because he got us through. Yeah. I want to say, if you're older, please tell of the faithfulness of God. We need it. God has got you through. And we need to be reminded that God will get us through today. And not just through, he will get us in. He'll get us into the promised land. Amen? Amen? So Lord, help us to be a people who gossip the gospel, who tell liberally of your faithfulness. And I thank you, Jesus, that you haven't just given old people stories of faithfulness. You've given young people stories of faithfulness. Help us, Lord, not to deconstruct the pile of stones. Help us not to add to it but to pass on this faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Lord, give us courage as we remember you to keep on inheriting what is promised. I ask that a spirit of courage would rest upon this church. I thank you for families here who have stayed in and out of season. And Lord, may they grab a glimpse of what it is to stay, not just to be faithful, but to, be stay, to stay as custodians of a testimony of your faithfulness that's passed on to many. And everyone said, let's stand together.